We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Candlestick Chronicles, a brand new 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. Uh, the goal of this podcast really is, is to just add to your playlist. We're, we're going to give you as much 49ers content as, as we possibly can, whether that's player interviews, analysis, scorching hot takes, uh, breaking down the latest news. Uh, we're going to be here for you during the off season and, and into next season where we're going to start doing podcasts after games, uh, during the week. Uh, like and subscribe. Wherever you get your podcast tonight, I'm joined by my good friend Kyle Madsen. Uh, Kyle is, is covers the 49ers for Niners Wire of the USA Today, USA Today Sports Media Group, a place I'm very familiar with. Kyle, how's it going, man? It's great, man. It's uh, good to be podcasting again. I know it's been a while. We had a, we had a Niners Wire podcast uh, going last year intermittently, um, but this one is going to be much more regular, um, and and we're going to break the 49ers down uh, as much as we can, uh, as much as humanly possible. Um, these team specific podcasts are, are a new thing on the blue wire network. And, and, and we're going to try to, to keep you locked in to the 49ers. So okay. Kyle in depth, starting practice squad. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about, so, so we're going to start with Victor Bolden going to the bills today. Kyle go. <laughs> no, so uh, obviously the, the Niners are, are coming off a, a win over the Seattle Seahawks in overtime, 26-23. Uh, in, coming out of, of that game, talking to the guys in the locker room, obviously it was a really big deal for them to to break that, that losing streak to Seattle, that 10-game losing streak that dates back all the way to 2013. The last time they beat the Seahawks was that December game, the final season at Candlestick, when 
Frank Gore had had kind of a miraculous run late in into field goal territory in, in a really low scoring game, a physical game. It was really cold at Candlestick, one of those odd games where it was like 30 degrees. It, I, it was the coldest I've ever been at a football game that I can remember, at least in San Francisco. Uh, and it was a really long time ago. And, and Joe Staley and Garrett Selleck are, are the only players on this current iteration of the 49ers that, that were a part of that one. And, uh, you know, coming out of that game, a lot of people are talking about, well, the, the 49ers ruined their shot at, at the number one pick. And they might have. Um, and, and I certainly, you know, there isn't a whole lot to play for at this point of the season other than pride. But you could tell, you know, with Richard Sherman being at the podium and, and he was really emotional after the game. And, and I think it was definitely the high point to his season. Kyle, where do, where do you fall on the idea that that win was bad for the team uh, because it might have cost them their shot at Joey Bosa versus just the intrinsic value of, of finally getting over the hump and, and beating a Seahawks team? And, and maybe more importantly, finally beating a team this season that that was actually good. It's, it was their first win over a 500 team this year. Yeah, I, I actually wrote a wrote a column about this today over at Niners Wire. It's I actually think it's fine because when you look at the performance as a whole, uh, I think they they learned a lot about some of the guys they're going to have going forward. And losing three picks in the draft is not ultimately that big of a deal. Uh, you can still hit with the number four pick, uh, <laughs> which is which is where they're they're projected to finish. And yeah, they're they're not going to get Nick Bosa, but. Uh, this is a deep edge class, or at least it's supposed to be, and we haven't seen how this uh, draft class is going to play out. Um, but what we saw and, and what I took away from from that game was you saw another good game from DJ Reed uh, at the nickel corner. Marcel Harris, the strong safety, had a really good game. Fred Warner had a solid game. That's three rookies, all guys taken in the third rounder later. Uh, their, their touchdown, their first touchdown was scored by a seventh rounder in Richie James. And their second touchdown was two undrafted free agents uh, connecting for for six. So uh, it, it just all kind of points to the Niners won this game because their young guys contributed. And that's huge going forward. If they had gotten blown out, uh, the future looks much less optimistic because uh, the rookies and second and third year guys aren't producing, but they did produce. And that's a good thing. Uh, unequivocally, Sunday's win was was a positive for the 49ers yeah and, and I will I agree with you I, I agree with everything you just said but but last year sort of provided a cautionary tale right we had a we had a lot of the same feelings about some of last year's rookie class like Adrian Colbert mm-hmm. uh, Solomon Thomas Reuben Foster Trent Taylor um, a lot of these guys really came on towards the end of last year in a similar way when Jimmy Garoppolo was you know or- orchestrating that five game winning streak to end the year and obviously, it didn't really carry over. And I, and I think the lesson to be learned is, as good as it is for the Niners to, to win games, uh, it doesn't mean it's going to carry over automatically. They were, and I was writing it a lot too, I mean, the, the NFL is ripe for parity and, and teams turning things around. We saw it with the, with the Jaguars last year. Uh, they went, I think, 4-12 and 12 the previous year, and then last season went to the AFC title game. We saw it with the Rams, who went from the seller to, to an NFC contender too. And the 49ers very much looked like that team now that they had a, a franchise quarterback and a lot of these young players who are playing really well, uh, similar to the way a bunch of guys you just mentioned were. So the, the point of all that is I think the 49ers can go into the offseason with a better understanding of, you know, yeah, these young guys are playing well, but ultimately it doesn't mean anything if, if they don't keep their nose to the grindstone and, and have that 
that extra layer of focus that they're going to need to really contend. Because it, even with when before Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, a lot of those guys just really took punches to the mouth. Like Adrian Colbert was not playing well before he got hurt. Um, Trent Taylor had offseason back surgery. I, I think that has been sort of the story of his season. And and he, I think he's just starting to get over it. You know, I, just just a bunch of these. The Ruben Foster situation is obviously a disaster, and and that is you know a lot more to do with with what went on off the field than than on the field. But the point being that the the, the next step for this team as they continue to build the roster is, is to get these players to not rest on their laurels and not say, well, we played well to end last season, so that means we're going to automatically play well to to begin next year with Jimmy Garoppolo back, presumably. With Jarek McKinnon back, um, this is this has got to be a real humbling experience for the 49ers. And and if they channel that energy correctly, uh, then they could be a much better team next year. Particularly with their franchise quarterback, we, we have tangible proof now of how important Jimmy Garoppolo is to this whole process. Do you think that the added prospect of competition will help? Because we saw those rookies play well last year and you watched Adrian Colbert over those final five, six, seven games. And you went, Oh, that's a starting free safety next year. And you saw Kello Witherspoon finish the year so strong last year and go, Oh, cool. He's going to start at corner next year. Now that's not necessarily the case. Now we're looking at a group of guys, uh, especially in the secondary that it feels like all those jobs are open. Yeah, I totally agree there. You know, Akella Witherspoon, you know, there was a story written in SI, I, I want to say in, in July or August, where Akella Witherspoon went to um, a cornerback camp hosted by Richard Sherman, where Akib Talib and Darius Slay and a couple other of, you know, the really elite corners in the league went. And Akella Witherspoon was there and he was quoted in the story talking about, you know, I deserve to be among this group. I'm going to be among this group, really based on a small sample. And it turned out that wasn't the case at all. And Akella Witherspoon was humbled early in the year. He gave up six touchdowns, I want to say, in his first six games. And and he did play a lot better in the second half of the season, similar to the way he did last year. But like I said, it's it's one of those things where, you know, he he was he was the unquestioned starter going into the year. And the 49ers brought in Tarverius Moore. Uh, they brought in Richard Sherman to start on the other side. And, you know, they, they talked about Jimmy Ward being a backup the entire time. And Ward wound up displacing Witherspoon for different spells early in the season and Witherspoon really was, was unchallenged. And it wasn't until the regular season started that the team started, you know, really giving Witherspoon competition for that spot. And then it really kickstarted his play. So yeah, I would expect them to add competition throughout the entire roster, whether that's at safety, whether it's at cornerback, um, how Tarverius Moore, the rookie third round pick from last spring plays in Witherspoon's spot over these last two games is going to be pretty important heading into the offseason as he sort of cuts his teeth at a, at a new position after playing safety in college. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree with the idea that they need to have more competition and it needs to be a, a really competitive offseason where it's made clear to guys, hey, if you don't bust your ass this offseason and, and go into next year much better than you ended 2018, then you're not going to have a starting spot. And, and I think – you know, there are very few spots on the defense in particular where you could say, all right, we have our starter. Right. You know, I think you have Fred Warner. I think you have DeForest Buckner. Uh, and really, that's about it. 
Like, is do we know for a fact Jaquaski Tart's a high level starter? He's shown flashes of it, but his shoulder injury is was was a real issue this year, and we don't know if he can stay healthy. We talked about Witherspoon. I think you know Richard Sherman eventually is going to take a s- significant step back and turning thirty one next year. Maybe it's next year. Uh, but yeah, the, this team has a lot of holes, particularly on defense, and you have to look at it and say there are very few solidified spots in that starting lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's got to be the focus this offseason, right? Is just kind of building depth. I think they're they're still not even at a at that baseline like okay, they have their starting group. Now they need to to add the depth behind it. They just still need starting caliber talent. And I don't think there's any one position on that side like you just said where they can go into the draft or go into free agency and go, "Okay, we're set at that spot." I I don't like you go up and down the 53 man roster. And I mean, offensively they're, they're, they're set at some, some places, but defensively, yeah, there's, there's holes everywhere. And yeah, maybe they have starting caliber guys on the roster, but we haven't seen that over a 16 game sample from anybody. Yeah. So let's, so let's talk about the draft real quick. Cause I think the natural thing that everyone wants to do is look at a team's biggest need and say, okay, that's how, that's how you have to address your, your first round pick is, is filling that need. And presumably it's edge rusher. And I think at number three, the Niners with the exception of Nick Bosa are, are going to have their, their choice um, at any of those guys. And, and we're going to dive into those guys a lot more in depth closer to the draft. But just from a needs perspective, I, I'm of the mind that you take the best player available no matter what. And, and I was saying last year um, before Mike McGlinchey really came on the radar late, uh, I was a big Derwin James guy because I thought, you know, despite the 49ers getting good safety play from Jaquaski Tart and Adrian Colbert, I just thought Derwin James is, is might be a generational type talent, and I think he's proven to be that type of player. And you look at Jaquaski Tart's injury issues and, and Adrian Colbert's regression, Derwin James would be a really nice piece to have. And that's not to say the McGlinchey pick was bad, but it sort of is an example of why you take just the best player on your board and figure out needs later. Needs can change you know, someone can to suffer an injury during a mini camp practice, and then all of a sudden you have a need that wasn't a need before. So when you're when you're adding a first round pick, a guy who's going to be on your team for five years, you really just got to throw need out the window and take the best available guy. That being said, I mean, I I, I think the 49ers could go linebacker early on. The kid from LSU, they the uh, the corner from LSU too, Greedy Williams is is a guy who would make some sense depending name, on way. great name. Great name. Like on a on a on a scouting scale of one to ten, or maybe one to five. Is one to five the scouting scale? What's what's Greedy Williams' name? Five, especially for like, five. Like the name itself, like Greedy Williams in a vacuum is dynamite. But Greedy Williams, the cornerback, yeah, give me that all day. That's a five. It's an easy five. Yeah, he. He's got to be the best smack talker in the draft, right? Like, I don't know anything about Greedy Williams, but I would assume just because his name's Greedy Williams, he's he's far and away the best trash talker in this draft. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm totally with you. I know nothing about his personality. He might be one of those like just humble, keeps his head down, and goes and goes about his game. But no, I I guarantee he talks just oodles of smack. Okay, so we're in agreement that you know it's not. There's a very there's a very high probability that they do end up with an edge rusher with that first pick, yeah. but I would just I would just caution everybody that you can get good players and really help your roster even if you're not addressing an apparent need right off the bat. Um, so 
you know, and, and we saw it last year with Mike McGlinchey, the, the Niners had Trent Brown, who was a, who was a capable right tackle, obviously really good in pass protection and, and struggled a little bit in the running game, but right tackle wasn't a need. And the Niners took McGlinchey and it wound up being a really good pick for them. So let's not, let's not pigeonhole the 49ers for an edge rusher yet. Although I will say there's probably going to be six to eight or nine guys that, you know, edge rushers that could go in the first round. And maybe we see the 49ers trade back and they have multiple first round picks uh, and they address the defense with, you know, with more than one pick, or maybe they stand pat. Uh, they, they have a t- ton of different directions they could go, but, but I guess my whole thesis of, of this mini rant is, is that don't pigeonhole the 49ers for edge rushers, because at this point they just need elite players and they shouldn't ignore those players. If, you know, if they have needs, immediate needs elsewhere. The one thing I will say is, and and you mentioned injuries, and especially with this team this year, just how many they've suffered at so many key spots, um, especially at, you know, at quarterback and at running back and in their secondary, they've been shuffling guys. So I, I'm totally with you on building that depth because you never know and you just need good players on your roster. Uh, we, we see teams, we've seen a ton of teams do that over the last couple of years where they just stack up good players and, and you figure it out. I mean, that's what these guys do, but I will say with the 49ers and with their roster in particular, I do think an edge rusher, a, a game wrecker. I, that's the phrase that's being used, right? Game wrecker is <laughs> <laughs> that type of player. I think enhances a lot of what they have defensively. No question. And by adding an edge rusher who can make an impact at that position, you're making life easier on your cornerbacks and your safeties. And suddenly, um, Akello Witherspoon was getting beat deep. Now he's not because he needs to cover for three fewer seconds. And and I think think that's where when... And that's when you have to... I agree with what you said, but at the same time, I really think an edge rusher has to be their top need because of what else it can do for their defense. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying ignore it altogether. I'm just saying, you know, they might be able to trade back, get a really good player at another position, get a really good cornerback or get a really good safety and then find an edge rusher in the second round. I mean, there, there are more than there's more than one way to skin a cat, and we don't know, you know, what things are going to look like in free agency. And as the off season gets here, we're going to go in depth on, on you know, free agents that we both think the Niners should target, things like that. This is just going to be a broad discussion about, you know, sort of what the philosophy is to to team building this off season. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you, and and I, I'm also of the mind, despite everything I just said about you know not pigeonholing them to need an edge rusher. I, I do think the edge rusher is the most important position yeah. on the defense, and and it, it can have it can mask a lot of your issues, and that's one thing that Kyle Shanahan said earlier this off or earlier this season when asked specifically about what an edge rusher can do. I mean, he said it's a quarterback on offense and it's an edge rusher on defense, and. You know, we saw it with Alden Smith in 2011. The Niners were a relatively solid defense in 2010 mm-hmm. that had a lot of solid and good players. It, it, it wasn't a complete defense, but it was a solid defense. And they sort of had some of the, the same issues that they have now in, in that they couldn't turn the ball over. They didn't get a ton of sacks, but they were they were 
decent in terms of yardage and efficiency and things like that. And then they got Alden Smith, who came in and had 19 and a half sacks. And then they went from, you know, a, a good defense to an elite defense. And obviously a lot more went into it than just the Alden Smith edition. Vic Fangio, as a coordinator, who's coming to, to Levi Stadium this weekend with the Bears, uh, obviously is an elite coordinator, and that had a lot to do with it too. But just just having that presence off the edge, out of the quarterback's periphery, that that is a huge thing. And, and we've seen it with Khalil Mack and, and the Bears. And so, yeah, I do agree with you. But if you take that guy, if you take an edge rusher, you make sure you get the right one. Don't take one just to take one uh, because, you know, the Niners really needed a receiver in 2012, and they took one just to took one, and A.J. Jenkins did not <laughs> no. work out. No, so, and, I, and, and you know, I, I'm not saying any of these top five guys are, are have serious bust potential like that. I, I haven't looked. I haven't watched these guys yet. That's, that's what January and February and March is going to be all about. But, you know, just don't take a guy just to take a guy. Make sure you take the right guy. And it's it's easy for me to say, you know, sitting in my bedroom with a headset on talking on a podcast. I'm, I'm not actually in there, but that's Yeah, just at. to real quick, put some going to put some numbers to what you said. In 2010, before Alden Smith got there, uh, the 49ers were 16th in points allowed, 13th in yards, and 15th in turnover differential. <laughs> In Alden Smith's first year, they went to second in points, fourth in yards, first in turnover differential, then second, third, and eighth, third, fifth, and fourth. That was the next three years. Um, and I, I think that corresponds directly with with the impact they got off the edge. You just totally validated I think, my argument. I, and we can get more into this once the draft order is finalized, but you mentioned trading back earlier. And a very fascinating scenario is one where the 49ers end up at four and Jacksonville winds up at five because... Jacksonville is the only team in the top five that's probably looking quarterback with that first pick. And if there are teams lower yeah. in the draft, you're looking at the Giants at nine, possibly Tampa Bay at eight. You you may see teams uh, willing to trade up to that four spot with the 49ers. And, and uh, that's just that's a scenario I think we're going to have to talk about a lot going into the draft if that is how it, yeah. it plays out. Yeah, Cincinnati, uh, they're going to pick, you know, 10 or 12, Washington, 13, 14, um, Miami's at 17, Denver. I'm just looking at, at Todd McShay's mock draft. But yeah, they're, they're, you know, we went into the season and I wrote a, a little bit about it. That It seemed like after last year's draft, there were so few teams that actually needed a quarterback with, with those five or six guys that won the first round last year. But really, you know, as we're seeing, there, there are going to be some teams that need a quarterback, and there aren't a ton in this year's class. But trading back with a quarterback-needy team could be a pretty advantageous scenario for the 49ers if they think, you know, one of these edge rushers, you know, the, the, the third or fourth best edge rusher isn't really that much worse than the second best edge rusher, and they can get that guy at, you know, 10 or 12 rather than 4 or 5, wherever they end up picking. That might be a good idea because then, you know, they're a little bit barren of picks right now. I think they only have six heading into this spring and they could use more, obviously. So getting a couple first round picks wouldn't be a bad idea. either. Yeah, that's that's we can we can talk more about that going into uh, going into the draft. But I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, we'll have to see kind of how the class shakes out and, and what it's looking like. But I really do think for for all the complaints about losing the number one overall pick and falling to number four. I would not be shocked if if they move back even further than that uh, in a trade, depending on how this class shakes out. Okay, so why, why don't we take a look at 
just overreactions from the season. And, and I think the biggest overreaction uh, that we've gotten so far is that the 49ers absolutely need to fire Robert yeah. Sala, um, their defensive coordinator. You know, look, I, I get it. There, there were a lot of communication issues in the secondary, and, and the defense overall looked like it took a pretty significant step back. Um, but I will say that, you know, at first I should point out, the Niners are 12th overall in yards. Um, they're, tw- they're, they're 12th in, in allowing 346 yards per game, which is fine. Uh, they're 12th in allowing 5.4 yards per play, uh, which is also okay. Really, their biggest issue is turnovers uh, and sacks. And, you know, they're, right now they have five turnovers and just two interceptions. Two interceptions would, would break the record for fewest turnovers in a season. And you know what the re- the record is three or sorry the record yeah the record's three from the 1982 Houston Oilers and you know what was unique about that 1982 season Kyle uh, it was like ten games long yeah there was a strike it was nine games long and the mm-hmm. Niners might have fewer interceptions than that team and look also you know turnovers are kind of a fluky stat they they can swing wildly from year to year right. Uh, off the top of my head, the, the Jaguars, I think, were second in the league in turnovers last year. And I think they're towards the bottom of the league this year. And their talent hasn't really changed. It's just sort of, you know, turnovers are a function of a lot of things. Obviously, they're a function of talent and pressuring the quarterback and, and all those things. But it's also, they're also a function of just what happens in the game. And, and the 49ers, after losing Jimmy Garoppolo, were, were playing from behind a lot. And they turn the ball over and teams that'll you know, that allows other teams, the the opponents to play pretty conservatively. And the 49ers just didn't, haven't gotten any turnovers. So I, I I do think just some of that, there's going to be some regression of the mean next year and turnover numbers for Mm -hmm. them. And it's going to come because they, they do add some talent. They do get a little bit better. Point is, I think Robert firing Robert Sala is, is just a massive overreaction because, uh, I just don't know what solutions you have to, to solve the issue that, that include firing Robert Sala. The, the Niners started, they've started nine different combinations at safety this year. Right, nine. Very they're, 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 there are two safeties on the field and they've started nine different combinations. They're down to their four string free safety right now. Jaquaski Tartsman in and out of the lineup at, at strong safety. I just don't know. You know, how you can look at a defense that's dealt with so many issues, including the whole Reuben Foster situation, uh, including the turnstile at cornerback with Akella Witherspoon getting hurt and getting benched and Jimmy Ward coming in and then getting hurt. Uh, Greg Maben coming in, Tyvis Powell coming in, different points. It, there's just been no continuity on the back end of the defense. And I think for the fact, the fact that the 49ers are 12th overall uh, in, in yardage at this point is a sign that they're relatively solid. It's a, it's it like the outlook for the defense isn't as dire as a lot of people would right. think. And I think one of the issues that the 49ers have had in recent years when they were turning over the coaching staff every season is you had the entire roster learning a completely new right. defense. And continuity is is super important and I would expect the defense to be significantly better next year just for from a standpoint of continuity from the fact that these guys are going to be playing in the same system and not having a different voice. So I think you give Robert Sala one more season if the defense regresses and, and you know, there are more, there's more confusion on the back end um, and there are some real signs that he's not the, the guy 
then I think you move on. I just don't think with all the turnovers, all the or all the turnover in in personnel and and all the injuries and, and everything like that. I just don't see why you pin this on the coordinator. Yeah, and especially you mentioned all the all the turnover in the secondary and how that leads to miscommunication. People always the thing people always throw back at you when you make these points that you just made on the internet is, well, his defense is supposed to be simple and if the coaches should be able to figure it out and that's just not necessarily the case. It can be something as little as uh, we've seen this happen with Fred Warner a couple times where he drops back in coverage where he's supposed to drop uh, 10 yards and he only goes eight uh, and it leaves it leaves a receiver open like it, those those little things matter and they happen. And when you have so many young players in and out of the lineup, you're going to have mistakes. And that's what we've seen with the 49ers this year. The thing that stands out that stood out most to me and it was on Sunday was how hard that defense was playing and how much. Sala was in into the game, interacting with the players in the game. NFL players want to win. They're not going to BS a coach and pretend to want to play for a coach. If the 49ers defense thought that Sala wasn't putting them in a position to succeed or was doing a bad job, they wouldn't be playing the way they're playing at three and 10 or four and 10 uh, and have been out of the playoffs for eight weeks or nine weeks or whatever. And I think that's I think that's a big deal. I know it's not quantifiable, and I know it's kind of an eye test type of thing, but I've never seen players go to war for a bad coach the way the Niners defense has the last two weeks. Right, and and look, I've I've covered some team. You know, I'm not. I don't want to be that guy who's like I've been there and I know. But like, you're drawing on experience. That's valid. <laughs> In 2014, when Jim O'Neill was a defensive coordinator there weren't a ton of dudes in the locker room that were saying like, Oh man, the Jim O'Neill's awesome. And we're, we're, we just want to try so hard and win for Jim. Right. Like Jim O'Neill wasn't a good coordinator and everyone in the locker room knew it. And it was just sort of this unspoken thing that was obvious. And everyone knew the players knew the media knew that it just wasn't working with Jim O'Neill. And that's not the feeling you get when you talk to these guys about Robert Sala. Uh, and the scheme and, and everything like that. The players have taken a lot of responsibility for the issues that they've had defensively and, and you know, not pointed the finger at their coaching staff, which which I think is a testament to both Robert Sala and just sort of the program that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have, have put together in terms of, you know, building accountability uh, within the roster from top to bottom. And I think they've gotten rid of some guys that, that didn't necessarily share that accountability uh, who were here uh, when, when Lynch and Shanahan were hired in, in 2017. So, yeah, I, I think Robert Sala should should be given one more year. Um, if the defense doesn't make significant strides, then after you know after 2019, then I think you got to move on. Uh, Kyle, do you do you have any other uh, massive overreactions from from this season that you want to address? Yeah, we got to wrap up pretty quick, but one I just want to get out of the way because it's. <laughs> It's been thrown into my Twitter mentions a couple too many times. Nick Mullins is not going to be the starting quarterback for the 49ers next year. (laughs) (laughs) I get that he's had uh, a solid six games and the prospect of having a player who is a high caliber starting quarterback or having two players like that and being able to trade one of them and keep the much cheaper one is such a terrific idea. But Jimmy Garoppolo 
is a better quarterback than Nick Mullins. Um, he, the 49ers yeah. are not trading him, uh, that, that he's going to be the starting quarterback as long as he's healthy going into next year. And any talk otherwise needs to stop. <laughs> yeah. I actually got asked that in a mailbag I, re- I posted today and look, when, when you invest and, and I know there's a lot of phony money in contracts and, and contracts aren't, don't often live up to what the initial, you know, reported numbers are. But when you give somebody $137.5 million, that gives that player a lot of leeway beyond one ACL tear. And an undrafted, a former undrafted free agent who spent the first year and a half of his NFL career on the practice squad is not going to overtake the $137.5 million quarterback based on you know, an eight game sample or whatever it's going to be for Nick Mullins, no matter how well he play, he plays. And let's be honest, he, he's looked really good at times, but he was really bad in that Tampa Bay game. Really, really bad. He was, he was really bad in the first half of the first Seattle game and things didn't start loosening up for him until the 49ers were down. Uh, was it 25 points? There's a lot in the, in the second half. And yeah, Nick Mullins threw for 300 yards um, and had a really good second half when the game literally meant nothing. But yeah, like I, I, I am in 100% agreement with you. I think any talk that Nick Mullins uh, should overtake Jimmy Garoppolo as a starting quarterback is absolutely insane. But um, I'm intrigued. It's it's going to be an interesting offseason for Mullins because because of his uh, you know being an undrafted free agent who who spent so much time in the practice squad. His contract is actually up after next season. So you're getting to the point where if Nick Mullins plays really well, then do you give him a contract extension? And if you're Nick Mullins, do you want to take a contract extension knowing that Jimmy Garoppolo is here to be the starter and you're not going to be the starter unless Garoppolo gets hurt again? Or do you say, no, I'm not going to take a contract extension and then try your hand in free agency in 2020? Because... Because he's played well and a lot of teams need quarterbacks and a lot of teams are really stupid when it comes to quarterbacks and they might be willing to take a flyer on Nick Mullins thinking that this is all Nick Mullins' talent and, and Nick Mullins doing it on his own independently of Kyle Shanahan's system and, and the way the offense is functioning and things like that. Like Someone might think that way and say, hey, we're going to give Nick Mullins you know, 10 or 12 million bucks a year for you know two or three years which is not what the 49ers would give him to be a backup so maybe the 49ers do decide to trade Nick Mullins this offseason because they figure they're he's not going to sign an extension anyway knowing that Jimmy Garoppolo's here just I I tweeted this out a couple days ago and I it was one of those who would you take QBA or QBB and then I put the numbers out it was Kirk Cousins' final three years in Washington versus Nick Mullins' 16-game uh, averages. Mm-hmm. They're basically identical. Like, al- almost almost identical. Mullins throws for a few more yards and a couple more interceptions. But just to get an idea for anybody listening to this going, there's no way a team would want to sign Nick Mullins. It, uh, the, there, there are teams who would do it. 
And like you said, how the 49ers handle him moving forward is going to be very interesting. I did the same thing. I did Nick Mullins versus Baker Mayfield a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to, I'm going to go back and and revisit those numbers now because it was before the, I want to say it was before the Seahawks game. So Mullins, (laughs) wow, this is funny. So Baker Mayfield, first overall pick in the NFL draft of the Browns. Uh, He's five and six in 12 games, 11 as a starter, obviously. He's completing 64% of his passes, 63.9 to be more specific. His passer rating is 92.6 yards per attempt, which is a metric I look at a lot. I like yards per attempt. Is is seven and a half. Okay. Okay. Uh, Nick Mullins, six starts. He's three and three as a starter, or the 49ers are three and three as a starter for everyone who gets mad at uh, the QB wins thing. Um, (laughs) Completion percentage, 64.5%, a little bit better than Mayfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, quarterback rating 96 Mayfield was 92.6 uh, yards per attempt is 8.6 more than a yard better than Mayfield per attempt so yeah but what about Mayfield I would argue under Freddie Kitchens <laughs> that's that's a good point that is a very good point we 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 know that the 49ers offensive infrastructure is a little bit better under Kyle Shanahan just in terms of scheme than, than the Browns and Freddie Kitchens. Probably. There could be some GM who looks at this and they're so desperate to find a, a cheap quarterback solution that they throw the 49ers like a fourth round pick or something for Nick Mullins. And like, I think the Niners would love that. They would love nothing more because I, I, I mean, I know Kyle Shanahan loves CJ Beathard despite how poorly CJ Beathard has played this year, but right. But that's that's the ideal that's the ideal scenario here, right? Because the 49ers aren't going to get a new starting quarterback out of this. That's that's not the thing. They paid Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo no, their no, guy. No. The ideal scenario here is they wind up with like a, a early day three pick, maybe a late day two pick for Nick Mullins because the Jaguars don't want to pay for a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could really happen. And I, I think that the whole reason why I point out um, Mullins stats versus Baker Mayfield. I mean, no one in their right mind would think Mullins is on the same playing field as Mayfield just not. in terms of stealing and talent and things like that. My point is this is just a whole ton of small sample size theater and there's no way anybody could know how good Nick Mullins would be away from Kyle Shanahan, away from this system that he knows so well that fits his skill set perfectly there's just no way to know that he's that he's actually good. The whole idea that that you know the Niners should trade Garoppolo and Nick Mullins is just completely insane. But I am curious to see if there is a GM in the league because, like we've said, a lot of them are pretty dumb when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, so maybe someone throws a 49ers a draft pick for Nick Mullins. I think we need to wrap this up. Yeah, we should. Uh, so this is this is the very first episode of Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. We want to thank you guys all for listening. We're going to be coming out with this thing a couple times a week going forward. I'm Chris Biederman, 49ers reporter for the Sacramento Bee. That is Kyle Madsen, the editor-in-chief, the content czar. Content the uh, man- the one I like. Thank you. Content czar. Okay. Thank you. At, at Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group, NFL Wire site. Uh, thanks for listening. Subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll talk to you guys soon.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.